A couple weeks ago, I was speaking up at a teen retreat uh, up in Reading, and uh, my daughter was there. Uh, my daughters were both there, but my one daughter brought along one of her friends, sweet young lady who doesn't know the Lord, um, churched a little bit, and, and, but she was happy to come up to camp, and so we were really happy to have her up there. And I was preaching through the weekend and talking about Jesus and all the stuff. And they got back to their cabin one night and she said, you know, I, I, I know about Jesus, but what's all this lamb stuff? Like, what's that all about? And she, she didn't really didn't have a clue about how that whole thing kind of connected together. And then in God's good grace, about a week or two after that, we had a, another teen young lady that just came over for, for supper and we were sitting around the table and we were eating and she's a believer wonderful young lady. She says, look, I, I got to ask you a question. Um, yeah, sure, go ahead. She said, wasn't there another way that God could have done this? I mean, Jesus coming and having to die, why couldn't God just look out to the world and say, you're forgiven? He is God after all. Like, why couldn't he do that? Why all the death? You know, they're really two good questions, aren't they? Why a lamb? Why so much death? Why so much blood when you read through the Old Testament? Carmelo made reference to it uh, when he was up here. And it's true, isn't it? And so, so what I want to do is this. I want to kind of scan real quickly through, with you through the Old Testament and look at all of the blood and death and animal sacrifices. I just want to highlight that kind of in our first moment. You know, yeah, so what a delightful time to be here. Let's talk about death. Then we want to see how all of that culminates in Jesus Christ. And hopefully we'll answer the question, why a lamb... And why death? In the Old Testament economy, I mean, if you're reading through your Old Testament, just kind of for fun, there's certain books you love to read, don't you? I mean, don't you like reading the stories in, in Genesis and I mean, Samuel with David and Kings and great stuff. Nehemiah, you know, your heart's, your heart's struggling with God, so you read the Psalms. You, you want wisdom for life, you read Proverbs. You want to know what's going to happen in the future, read the prophetic literature, right? I mean, great stuff. But normally when I say, hey, what was your blessing from reading the Old Testament? Most people don't go to Leviticus. You know, the, the ending section of Exodus. You know, here's what the tabernacle needs to be and all the details and the colors and all the stuff. Those sections in numbers that just unpacks again the sacrifices. We kind of read through that more quickly, don't we? But what if we were Jews? living in the Old Testament economy, under the old covenant that came about at Mount Sinai. What would be our psyche when it comes to blood and death? Well, we know a couple things. We know that there were sacrifices for virtually everything, wasn't there? And, and we know this, when you read through the Old Testament, you get this sense of distance, don't you, between the people and God? Because God is saying, 
I am going to come and dwell in this tabernacle amongst my people. But nobody better get very close, right? Matter of fact, the high priest can come into what's called the Holy of Holies. There's the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place making up the sanctuary. And then when you get to the temple, you know, there's the court of the priests and the court of the Israelites and the court of the women. It kind of just goes out and out and out. And one of the things you find is there's more and more limited access as you get closer to the sanctuary, isn't there? And that's your sense. God is dwelling, but you can't approach Him. The only way you can approach Him, because you're all sinners. And God is a just God. And the only way to handle sin, if there's going to be life, there must be death given as a substitute so that people can approach God. And one of the things you'll find as you read through the Old Testament is, in the psyche of the Jew is, I can't approach God. Unless there's a sacrifice. And so, you flip open your Bible to Leviticus. You read the first seven chapters. And you'll read about the different individual offerings that have to be given. The burnt offering. The grain offerings. Now that wasn't death there, fair enough. The sin offerings, the guilt offerings, the peace offerings. And every time you came up and you had... You had made a mistake. You had done something purposely. Whatever the case may be. And what happens is they will take a lamb and they will kill that lamb. Sometimes it's a dove. Sometimes it's a cow. Sometimes it's a goat. Fair enough with the different sacrifices. But something would die and that would be a reminder to you. I am a sinner unable to approach God unless a death is given. A life is given and death comes. I mean, it was built into your individual experience as a Jew, every time he came to the temple, taking another animal, and that animal dies. But there wasn't just individual sacrifices, was there? There was recurring scheduled sacrifices throughout the year. Every day, the Bible tells us there's a morning sacrifice and there's an evening sacrifice. Weekly sacrifices, monthly sacrifices, and then there was these huge feasts every year. Some of the more popular ones would be Passover and the Day of Atonement. You know, for Passover in the first century, it's hard to know numbers sometimes. Archaeologists try to figure out, like, how many people lived in Jerusalem? And for the different feasts, how many people came up and actually sacrificed? And, and we, we don't know exactly. I mean, Josephus, an ancient historian, is way high. We know that. But probably, there was around thirty to 50,000 people who lived in Jerusalem in the first century. But for Passover, that could swell to almost 200,000 people. And if you do the math of, of, of the lambs that need to be killed on Passover day, it's probably fifteen to 16,000 lambs need to be killed in one day. Folks, that's a lot of blood. And, and, and so priests, they, they literally would have just lined them up and they're slicing, slicing, cutting, 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 killing, killing, killing. And the blood is flowing down the Kidron Valley, down into the river there. And it, it had to be on Passover day. It had to be just plain red through and through. And so you come to this great Passover feast 
And, and, and it's a reminder, there was a time when we came out of Egypt and it was there that the death angel could pass over only because blood. And the angel passed over. And remember the God who delivers you through the giving of life. Don't forget. And so year after year after year, they do the Passover. And then once a year, the Day of Atonement. That is the one time when for the sins of the nation as a whole, the high priest would first of all do sacrifices for himself. He would have two goats. One goat would be sent out to the wilderness, but with the second, there would be the sacrifice, and he would go into the very holy of holies to present the blood into the very holy of holies. Only enter there once a year. What if you were a Jew? You would know in the very core of your soul no life without death. No payment for sin without death. Your own experience, the scheduled sacrifices and acts of the nation year in and year out, year in and year out would say you cannot approach God apart from something dying as a substitute for what you've done. Now, it's not really American, is it? (laughs) It's not so much our culture. We don't think that way. But it was the way for a just God to be approached at some level. At some level. That's it. By an unholy people. And then Jesus came. And all of those pictures and all of that imagery comes down and focuses upon Him. And I want to look at a couple passages with you in preparation for the Lord's Supper. And, and I, just, I just want to show you how all of the sacrifices are picked up in Jesus Christ. First of all, would you come with me over to the book of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 7. And I just want to read a couple select passages with you. Hebrews 7, and again chapter 10, is going to pick up for us um, Mostly on the Day of Atonement, but also the other sacrifices too. It's very, very critical. Listen to what happens as the writer tells us about Jesus Christ in light of all, what what about all these lambs that died? What about all the blood and all the death? What's that all about? When you move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Look at what Hebrews chapter 7 verse 23 says. Hebrews 7, 23. Now, many have become priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he, speaking of Jesus, remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need. One who is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as the high priests do. First for their own sins, then for the people. He did this once for all when he offered himself. 
For the law appointed as high priests men who are weak. But the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. One other passage and then I want to make a comment on it. Go over to chapter 10 in Hebrews. And do you see what he's doing? He's comparing the Old Testament economy, the Old Covenant with the New Covenant in Jesus Christ. And, and the marvelous thing is in the Old Covenant, there must be a high priest and there must be a sacrifice. And year after year, they'd bring sacrifices. And what would happen to that high priest is he'd live a couple years and he'd die. Another one would come, he would die. Another one would come, he would die. Another, he would die. It, it was, they just kept dying. And what Hebrews 7 is telling us is, wouldn't it be great if you could have a high priest forever? Not one that dies all the time. And, and wouldn't it be great if you could just have one sacrifice? And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. And the marvelous thing about Christ is he is both high priest forever and the one and only one sacrifice we ever need. It's all Jesus Christ. Look what he says in chapter 10. I'll start there in verse 1, read to verse 4, and then jump down to verse 11. Listen to this. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the actual form of those realities, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers, once justified, purified, would no longer have consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 11. Now every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus Christ, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering... He has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Isn't that great? So, so he says, under this old economy, all you have are sinful high priests who keep dying. What you have underneath this old economy, this new economy, is you have a holy priest who will never die, who never sinned, and forever stands in the very presence of God to intercede for you. Isn't that wonderful? And so that is why Hebrews 4 tells us, come boldly to the throne of grace. You know what he's talking about? Do you know Doug Finkbeiner? If I was a Jew living back that time, you know, just from a normal tribe, I would never get inside the sanctuary. Not even the holy, not even the holy place. Never. I'd see it. I'd be happy about the sacrifices. That's it. 
But you know underneath the new, new covenant. I can come boldly. Into the very presence of God. The holy of holies. Because the high priest Jesus Christ. Is there for, for me for all, all time. Isn't that marvelous? And so Hebrews says. Come boldly into his presence. It is coming into the very holy of holies. Into the presence of God. In the old economy. Everybody was pushed, pushed, pushed. And yes, sacrifices got you closer. No, we go right into his presence. Because of me, not on your life. Because Jesus Christ is both high priest and sacrifice at the exact same time. And his death once is all we need. That's it. And the writer of Hebrews says, man, when I think of the day of atonement and I look at Jesus, there's a huge difference. This is merely a foretaste and picture of the reality which is in Jesus Christ. Now the Gospels, on the other hand, during the ministry of Christ, largely pick up on the Passover. And that's why if you flip back for just a second to Luke 22... Luke 22, I just want to read a couple verses to you with you from there. Luke chapter 22, come with me to verse 14. Luke 22, 14, that'd probably be good if I wasn't in chapter 20, okay. Luke 22 and verse 14. I want you to think about this. You're now a disciple of Jesus Christ. And He's been predicting this thing about him dying, but you're a little bit uncomfortable with it. And he's been real clear that he's going to die, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, he's going to resurrect. But the disciples are fuzzy because when they're thinking of Messiah, man, they want a Messiah that's going to come, push out the enemies of God, take control and rule. We want a king. That's what we want. And Jesus is, is continually reminding them, and especially again this day, that for him to reign... He must first die. And so the Passover ceremony, which they've done several years now as a group, Jesus stands up this time and changes everything. Now, when they look at the cup and they look at the bread and before they were thinking about all the difficulties of Passover and what the, the suffering they went through and yet it was because of the blood which the Jews represented. It was because of the blood that God passed over. And that's what they're thinking. And Jesus stands up and says this in the midst of that meal. Listen to what he says. Verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined a table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them and said, this now, folks, this would be the great shocker for them. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they're going like, what? Right? Think about it. 
They're not, they're not clear on this thing at all. And Jesus says, this is my body. You, you're no longer from here on out going to do this ceremony and look back to the Passover. No more. From now on, when you do this ceremony, you're going to think of my body, which was broken. They didn't even know what that all meant yet. And I'm sure they were saying like, uh-huh. <laughs> right? He continues. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant by my blood. You know what he's telling them? You have lived under the old covenant for years and years and years. And at best, it is a picture. And it is a reminder of failure. But I'm starting something new. It fulfills all of that in me. Now you will realize that what that was in picture, I am in reality. This cup no longer points back there. This cup looks at my blood, the giving of my life, Jesus says, for you. And with my death, there's a brand new covenant. My spirit's going to be coming at Pentecost. The next big celebration, we'll use that for the spirit to come. And now all of a sudden when you think of Pentecost, you don't go back, you go back to what the Spirit's doing. And everything changes, folks, because of Jesus Christ. So he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It is shed for you. And with that, everything changes. Paul, as we'll be reading in a couple minutes, Picks up with that very story, doesn't he? As because what he was telling them, and they were kind of like, I think I don't, I don't really know what he said exactly. Became crystal clear after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the church of Jesus Christ consistently and regularly from then on would not would not now celebrate Passover. They would celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because that's the event. You're in the Old Testament. What do you look back to again and again and again? Exodus. God's delivering us. We're Christians. What do we look back to again and again and again? Christ has delivered us. And that's everything. To kind of wrap up our time. I want you to come with me. To the book of Revelation. Chapter 5. Do you know, the term lamb for Jesus Christ is refer references Jesus Christ a couple times in the New Testament until you come to the book of Revelation. Do you know in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the lamb about 30 times in the book of Revelation. Smatterings before that, significant smatterings. You come to the book of Revelation and you will see center stage Jesus Christ as the lamb of God. First time he's mentioned as that, designated as that, is in chapter 5 of Revelation. Listen to what it says. I want to I read, starting in verse 1. And I want you to hear the significance of Christ as Lamb. Verse 1 of chapter 5, Revelation. Then I saw on the right hand of the one seated on the throne, 
a scroll with writing on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And in that, folks, is authority to judge the world. I saw also a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look on it. And John here now speaks. And I cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Stop crying. Look. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He came. He took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and Gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. And again in verse 12, they said with a loud voice, the lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Carmela, can you imagine what that's going to be like? Wouldn't you love to hear that worship service? We will. We will all be involved in that one day. And the writer, John, as he writes the book of Revelation, says, there's a lamb. And from this point on, folks, 29, 29, 30 times, he will use the word lamb again and again and again for Jesus Christ. And most of the, way he, most of the times he uses the lamb from here on out. It is the lamb with the authority to judge. And it's not really a very pretty picture as you read through Revelation, is it? The judgment that comes upon humanity. But Jesus, who has died for humanity... And given his life saying, all can come from every tribe, nation. Come, come, be forgiven. And if people say, no, I won't come. Then the lamb will take the seals. And he'll break open the seals. And he'll begin to judge the people. That's how it works in God's world, doesn't it? Sin must be paid. And for all that come and submit. Their sins are all washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb. And for those who hold the fist and say, I will not. Life is about me. I'll have it my way. God unleashes judgment. And it gets bloody. And it's, it's, it's a hard read. And the Bible will tell us God will either change you by coming to His Son or He'll destroy you. That's it. Come to Revelation 19. And there, remember back in Luke 22, Jesus said, 
I'm going to drink this again with you someday. Remember that? In Revelation chapter 19, the Bible tells us about the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be the, the whopping best banquet you've ever been at. I'm telling you. And there again, the lion lamb is going to be among us at the very center. And we as his bride, his people who have believed in him, we again will celebrate what he has done for us. One of the last occurrences of the term lamb in the book of Revelation is when God talks about the new Jerusalem. He says, remember the old Jerusalem? You always needed a sanctuary in the middle of that thing, didn't you? But in that new Jerusalem, God the Father and the Lamb will be your sanctuary. And you will be in perfect fellowship because now God will literally be among us. Total access for all eternity. All because God the Son in obedience to the Father. The Father and the Son who loved us. God loved us, He sent His Son. The, the Son loved us in obedience to the Father. came and He died. As the perfect Lamb of God. In fulfillment of all of these sacrifices. All of those pictures. Next time you read through the Old Testament, read it, feel it, see what it's like. And remember, it all comes crashing in because you know what happens? Whenever you read of sacrifice in the Old Testament, it presumes sin and it presumes judgment. And there's a sacrifice which says there is a merciful God who wants to move toward us. And all through the Old Testament, sin and judgment and yet mercy and love and sin and judgment. Right, right on through. And what happens is it all crashes at the cross of Jesus Christ. Where God is both justified because sin is paid and justifier because he forgives us. You see? It all comes together in the cross. And in just a few moments, we're going to be taking the elements. And our prayer is that you'll behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, the story is told of Spurgeon he was going to speak at the Crystal Palace. So he went a day early with one of his friends. And, and he, I mean, that was before there was you know, any mics or anything like that. So you really had to project. And he had quite the voice. So he was up by the pulpit. And he had this guy located several places around the, the auditorium. Just to make sure that, that everywhere he stood they could hear him. So, and the, what, what he said several times. Didn't say much. He just said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's all he said. He said it several times, and finally the guy said, thumbs up, looks good, and they left. Do you know, there was a man working on the roof there that very day. They didn't know it. And that's all he heard several times. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he went home, and he became a Christian. I mean, that's it, isn't it? So as we come to the table, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
In the words of Paul, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let me just read what he says for us. In verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds these words. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's why we do it, isn't it? We are constantly proclaiming we are who we are because the Lamb has come. I'm going to turn it over to Victor to lead us in the elements in our time now.